0: All right, another edition of the Softy Hawk Blogger podcast. Uh, We have not been around the last couple weeks. You can blame Brian for that, by the way. Uh, But I will say this, the Seahawks won both games. So if we are back this week and the Hawks get hammered Sunday, uh, this may be the end of it for us, to be totally honest with you. But, you know, one guy who uh, I'm not concerned about one thing, and that's inviting Brian to go watch hockey games with me because he can't stand the NHL, hates hockey, uh, isn't even remotely excited for the return of the NHL to Seattle, but he is jacked up for the Seahawks, man. How are you, pal?
1: (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, apparently... uh... Uh, voicing your opinion on anything on Twitter means that, uh, if anyone feels differently that, that you've, uh, been throwing shade their direction, yeah. I, I, I will have to think twice about saying, you know, uh, I don't like, uh, I don't like Dick's burgers maybe, or I don't like, uh, I don't what? Like you Dick's don't like Dick's burgers.
0: What the hell? That's blasphemy. I don't know.
1: Like, I, I actually don't have a strong opinion on Dick's burgers to be honest, but, but yeah, uh, yeah. Hockey doesn't do it for me, man. I tried. I've tried. Maybe every once in a while I can watch the Olympics, but yeah. all this NHL, all this NHL news when I hear it, yeah. Basically, what it translates to me is uh, Seahawks, or the Seattle lost the Sonics, uh, can't get them back because they got screwed over by you know all sorts of people, and then the Seattle screwed over Chris. Is it Chris Matthews? Is that his name? Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen, yeah, Chris Hansen. Chris
0: Matthews used to play for the Seahawks, and now he's back in the CFL in Calgary, and he works for MSNBC, by the way. I believe
1: that is true. There's yeah. two of them. Yes. So yeah, the whole thing just feels like not that interesting to me. Like who really cares? So that's, well, that's, that's, I got my you. Just
0: just don't forget that you uh, you are a very influential sports media personality in this town, and your opinion carries on. Uh-huh. Your opinion carries a lot of weight. So when you say something like that, you're kind of pissing on people's parade, there, man. Just don't uh, forget about that, okay, pal.
1: I will, I will have to take that new account. I definitely don't want to be uh, doing any such
0: thing. Do not forget about your place in the hierarchy of media in Seattle because it's near the top. Well, let's let's talk about this football team. <laughs> two wins the last couple weeks where I think both of us, after the Bear game, thought there was a good chance they would be 2-2 two and two coming off the uh, game against Dallas and the game against Arizona. But starting on Sunday, it's anybody's guess where this team goes. Uh, what do we make of what we've seen since the 0-2
1: start, men? I'm, yeah, I'm glad you asked, because here's the thing. I wasn't convinced they were going to be 2-2 two and two if they decided to play the way they were playing the first two weeks. And I'm not talking about the quality of the way they were playing. That obviously was an issue. But the the offensive game plan that they ran out the first two weeks was nuts. It, 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 it was, I mean, they, you remember in the Bears game, they went entire quarter without running the football. Chris Carson was getting seven carries while Rashad Penny was getting, like, they were doing ridiculously strong stupid things like they were really really bad um ideas and so if they had kept doing that yeah i'm not convinced they would have won both these last two games
0: i think they would have um, been three and one or four and oh if they would have run the ball the way they've run the last couple of weeks how about you
1: exactly yeah. exactly I, I absolutely believe that to be true and look there are a lot of folks people that i respect uh, on twitter that are smarter than me um and They tell you running doesn't matter and that passing is the only thing that matters and that, um, you know, I don't know if you've heard the term neutral game script. Have you heard that, Softie? No. Okay. I'm going to break it down for you real quick and for folks listening, but the idea is trying to figure out what play callers call, what kind of plays they call in neutral situations. So that's within one score game, like either they're trailing by eight points within eight points or they're ahead by eight points or less. And it's first or second down and it's within the first three quarters so if you get into the fourth quarter things get crazy and third and fourth downs all things change but in those situations you kind of can determine what kind of play caller you have on your hands and for the first two weeks of the season in those neutrals neutral game script situations the Seahawks were passing on 61.5 percent of their plays Mm. in the last two games they were passing on 37.5% of those plays. It is a massive change in how they're approaching um, uh, the offense. And for all those people that are pro-passing all the time, guess what? They're 2-0. and They scored more points um, in those situations yeah. in the last two weeks. So I'm telling you, like, running the ball with this team, you might hate it. For Some people might hate it. I know you don't. I don't. But it's working for them. Yeah. It's, it's part of their identity. Yeah. Well, I
0: I mean, I I don't understand that crowd that says you need to throw the ball 50 times a game to win. I I think that's ridiculous. And then number two, look at what the Seahawks' approach was over the offseason. Everything they were all about was about fixing the running game. Signing J.R. Sweezy, drafting Will Disley, signing Ed Dixon, drafting Rashad Penny. Everything they did over the offseason was about going out and fixing the running game. And then all of a sudden you wake up in week one in Denver and you forget what the hell the game plan was. That's infuriating, man.
1: Absolutely. But, you know, so this this very vocal, um, you know, contingent of folks is is basically just saying, look, there's a lot of evidence to say that passing is far more efficient than running and you should that people still the coaches uh, run more than they should. And that they should be passing a lot more often. But if you look back at the Seahawks during Pete Carroll's tenure, and you look at the amount of times that they're passing, and when they're they're passing the least, like when when you look at when the offense has been the most efficient, um, you know, by by a lot of advanced metrics, it was when they were ranking like thirty first or thirty second in the NFL in pass attempts. You know, that yeah. was two thousand ten, two thousand well 2012, 2013, 2014. So the Seahawks, we have not seen a situation yet where they're the best at uh, their best off having Russell Wilson be a high volume passer. Right. I think he plays off of the run really well. He's a great play action passer. I think, He's been in more manageable situations and I think he he's a better quarterback when that's the case.
0: Yeah, his his greatest success has always been off-play action. His greatest success has always been as a complement to the run game. So, I don't get it, man. It's frustrating, but hey, you're 2 and 2, you're not 0 oh and 4, you're not 1 and 3. However, starting this Sunday, you're going to face a defense uh, Brian that has sacked Russell Wilson in the last three years, twenty-four times, and hit him fifty-eight times. And I think this defensive line right now with Brockers and Donald and Sue is is better than the one that they had with Robert Quinn. Uh, their secondary's banged up a little bit, obviously with the with uh, you know Talib being out. But uh, this is this is kind of a nightmarish potential situation on Sunday. What do you make of what we'll see on Sunday, Pel?
1: Well, you said what was it, twenty-four? sacks? Twenty-four sacks in six games and fifty-eight hits. Yes. Oh, see, I was gonna—that was I was gonna say. Are you sure that wasn't just in one game?
0: Uh, it may have been. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I don't I don't, I don't. I don't have my rim shot ready for you. I apologize.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was. has it been brutal. I mean, I don't. He, he gets a lot of seven sack games against these guys, and um, you know, there's some interesting trends, though, softy. So, one is, uh, I know you know Pro, Pro Football Focus, and they do grades for a bunch of stuff, and they have they have they have a stat called pass blocking efficiency, and this basically. It's not a perfect stat, but but it looks at how efficient you are in uh, for per drop back and keeping the quarterback from getting pressured. That could be a hit, that could be a hurry, that could be a sack. So those are all different things, right? Well, if you count the, for the whole season, the six, the Seahawks offensive line is 16th in the NFL in pass blocking efficiency. And now uh, that's not great, but um, you and I have always talked about if they can get an average pass blocking, then then that could yep. be really good yep. for Russell. They haven't ranked higher than 26th in any of the past four or five years. Now, if you cut out the first week against Von Miller and you just go to the last three weeks, they jump up to fifth in the NFL in pass blocking over those last three weeks. If you go to the last two weeks, they jump up to fourth. If you go to the last week, they jump up to third. Third Mm -hmm. in the NFL in pass blocking efficiency. And if you look at the the stat that ESPN just started sharing this morning, which is a, another individualized pass blocking, the Seahawks' offensive line is fourth in the NFL in pass blocking um, efficiency. So, And that's just looking at the offensive linemen. So there are some positive trends there. This is about as tough of a matchup as you're going to get, no doubt about no it. No doubt.
0: And uh, can we say that J.R. Sweezy has Wally-pipped Ethan Posick?
1: Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And, you know, he and D.J. Fluker are together. Uh, I think that's good. We shouldn't assume that Fluker's is going to stay <laughs> healthy, as you said. You know, like, like Postic is not going to be on the bench probably the whole whole season. But but I think this is a better guard duo for sure.
0: You know, we haven't talked about the Desert Digit, uh, the bird uh, at the birdhouse. <laughs> With Earl Thomas and Pete Carroll a week ago, and it was funny to me how Pete tried to kind of brush that off as if, hey, who knows where that was going. You know where it was going, Pete. It was going right (laughs) at you is where Uh it was going. Uh, I wasn't as hard on Earl as others were for maybe some other reasons besides what we've talked about, but what do you make of the way the Earl Thomas saga has now ended, pal?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Marshawn did his digit on that same stadium. He did, Um, yep. Doug, Doug, did his in Seattle, um, so that's the third digit we've seen. But um, look, uh, that specific part of it, I, I, I'm honestly mostly with Pete. Not not about whether it was <laughs> where it was aimed. I think we all know that. But uh, you know, it is certainly not a moment he should be proud of, or that we should be celebrating him doing. I, I don't think that's that's the way you want to end things. But I definitely empathize with where it's coming from. I mean, this is exactly what he was worried about. He feels like yep. he was wronged, and, and you know, that's, that's a tough moment. I think I saw you defending him on Twitter, which, which I appreciated as well. But, you know, look, this guy is, in my opinion, the best defensive player on what has been the best de- defense of this era yep. um, and one of the best defenses in history. And I was talking with some friends earlier this week, and I don't know where you're, you are on this, but if you were to rank in importance – you know, one to five, or you know, top. Who's the top three most important players from the Super Bowl team for the Seahawks? And for that kind of group, 2012, 2013, 2014, that kind of group.
0: Right.
1: Where does Earl land? For me, it's number one. Like, uh, given that that defense is really what took them most of the way for, for a lot of these things, and knowing how central Earl was to everything they did. He very well could have been the most important player on what was the greatest team in the history of Seahawks sports.
0: Yeah, well, I'm with you. I mean, he allowed them to play that kind of defense because he was so fast and he can cover the entire field by himself. And if they can't, uh, if they don't have a free safety with Earl's wheels, then Cam Chancellor, I don't think, has the career that he's had, uh, to be totally honest with you. Uh, I'm not even sure if Richard Sherman has the career that he's had without Earl Thomas. Uh, you know, I think all these guys are great in their own right. And I'm with you. I think if you were to rank the top three most important players from that defensive run, it would be those three guys, uh, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, and Cam Chancellor. I mean, everybody has benefited from the way that team has played on the back end. It, It just makes me sad, I guess, Brian, when you think about how, number one, all three of those guys, let's go back three, four years ago, they were gods in this town. Everybody loved them. There was no consternation whatsoever when it came to even talking about those guys, and now all of them have these little black marks on their record. Cam's got the holdout. Richard's got the fight with Bevel and Richard and the way things ended uh, when he went to San Francisco. Uh, Earl's got, obviously, everything that's happened the last three or four months uh, in Seattle. So, you know, th- these guys were beloved by everybody, universally beloved by, any- by everybody, and it just makes me sad that there are people out there there now that don't feel that way. And I'm not saying they're wrong to, to, to feel the way they do.
1: You know what? I, I am. I, I'm going to go out and say that those people are wrong to feel that way. I, I, their records are expunged as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, tell you why, like if you have someone that you truly love, like, you know, and, and it can be sports love. It doesn't have to be true love. Um, that then you, you understand who they are, what they bring, and you accept them for all their their greatness and all their flaws. And you know if you've got a sibling, if you've got a parent, if you've got a you know a kid, you understand that that dynamic. And guess what? These guys are not perfect, but they brought to Seattle things that no one else has ever brought to seattle. and the the love that the 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 city felt for them that was genuine and and it was it was mutual and did things get ugly for a variety of business reasons and maybe some others? Sure. Are they like absolutely perfect people that have no flaws? No. And guess what? The people that are pissed off at them I guarantee you they got plenty of flaws themselves. So I feel nothing but positive about all of those guys. Um, I do wish that it could have ended in a better way, but man, there's pretty it's pretty rare in the NFL or really almost any sport for, yeah. for guys just to ride off into the sunset and for it all just to end perfectly.
0: Well you think about the greatest units in the history of the NFL the fearsome foursome, the purple people Leaders, the steel curtain uh, the LOB is going to be right up there man in 15, 20 years if not 5 or 10 years from now. People will include that secondary when it, when, when it comes to conversations about the greatest position groups in the history of the NFL. It's a shame they couldn't get the second championship because I think that really could have cemented them as one of the all-time greats, uh, as far as dynasties in the NFL. Dick and I were having this conversation on the air the other day. I think if you win back-to-back titles in the NFL, make the playoffs five years in a row, that's a dynasty. With with with, with how much parity there is in the NFL and how hard it is to win back-to-back titles, they were that close, and it still drives me nuts, dude. It still keeps me up at night, and I wonder if that feeling will ever go away, dude.
1: I don't think it will. I really don't. The only thing that'll make that would have made it gone away is if they had gotten another, you know, some other way, and. uh But then you'll
0: complain about not having back-to-back titles. It's got to be back-to-back. I mean, look, a lot of teams win championships, right?
1: If they had won in 2015, then you know, then everyone would have been like, "Yeah, they could have won three in a row." Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. But but if they had won two, that would have been a dynasty. And and frankly, the the really lame fallback, you know, relatively speaking, but still pretty impressive is. That defense, what they did for four straight years, being number one in points allowed, number one in yards allowed, never had really been done in modern. I mean, all the way back in yep, like the yep. 50s or 40s. I think the Browns' defense in like the 40s or 50s did it. But I mean, that is an unreal accomplishment. You know, the other thing that stand out from that group is like 88 straight games or whatever it was, within without losing by more than a you know seven points yep. or ten points or whatever it was. Like I mean, those are ridiculous yep. accomplishments. And it is, it is really a bitter taste to, to not have walked away with at least two rings. I'm but with you. you know I'm with what? you. We got one. We got one. And, and I don't think the door's closed on this team with this quarterback finding a way to get another.
0: Well, here's, here's a little preview of what we could see Sunday. You ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, here it comes. Three, two, one. <laughs> what do you think happens on Sunday, pal?
1: didn't even hear that so uh I'll play it
0: again here it is three two one
1: <laughs> did you
0: catch that one
1: i got that one okay um you know what so so i'm gonna have to stick with a prediction i made on a previous show um even though it's totally insane so my my i will tell you my very gut instinct is this is like a 37-7 kind of uh rams shellacking but um there's some weird feeling I've got that this defense has been a little better than we thought. Maybe Pete Carroll can figure out a way to, to take away some of the things that Jared Goff is just super comfortable with. And, you know, maybe that actually that one of the Rams weaknesses is their run defense is not very good. And it's actually never been that good with Aaron Donald, um, even as, as great of a player as he is. So, if they can control the clock a bit, if they can you know, take the ball off of Goff, which, by the way, they're one of the best teams in the NFL at doing that right now, um, and this offensive line can, can keep going forward, I've got the Seahawks winning 20-17. to 17.
0: Wow. That is the ultimate homer take right there, buddy, and I it love it. It is totally a homer oh, take. I love it.
1: I'm kind of doing it for all the homers out there, because yeah. otherwise, why the hell are we watching this game? You
0: can be the guinea pig. You take <laughs> one for the team. You go, man. I love it. I will take it. All right. Great stuff, and we'll talk in a week, buddy. See you, pal. All right, thanks. You bet. Brian Nemhauser, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, on the web, hawkblogger.com. Like Facebook, it's always free, and it will always be free. Uh, Check it out, hawkblogger.com. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next week. See you, bye, and go Hawks.